Good morning, everybody. Okay, it's the pastor's wife that has to get called down for continuing to talk. (laughs) Just kidding. All right, I'm so glad you all are here today. Uh, Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us. Lord, we just thank you because you are an awesome God. We thank you for each person that is here. We thank you for the privilege to be here together, uh, worshiping you with brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that we still live in a country where we can freely come to do this. We thank you for dying on a cross in our place so that we could have eternal life. We thank you that we preach God's word here. We thank you that we get to lift up our worship to you in voice and, and through our giving. And hopefully, Lord, that's not the only time we worship you, but we worship you throughout the week as the way that we live to please and honor you. Lord, we thank you that you love us individually and personally. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Glad you guys are here today. Let's go ahead and start singing page 98 in your hymnal. We're going to have to sing a cappella, and hopefully I start in the right key. If not, we may be changing keys next verse. All right. Great is thy faithfulness. No, that's the chorus. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not thy compassions, they fail not. Morning, 
I'm so glad that God is faithful. Uh, He's always faithful no matter what. Let's uh, sing page 227. There's something about that name. We'll sing through the chorus here twice. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after singing. I want you to look around at each other and say, hey, good to see you. And you may be seated. Uh, 
All right. A uh, couple quick announcements. Um, first off, uh, it's not in the bulletin. I forgot to put it in the bulletin, but uh, uh, Tara had some um, sheets out there for the ladies' Bible study um, to, to vote, and hopefully you guys have responded to her to let her know what you want, what, when you want it. Uh, we want it now. No, never mind. Sorry. Um, that uh, let her know that if you did not get a, one of those pieces of paper, uh, I think there's two sheets of paper out there. They're still out on the foyer. Make sure you get those to her by today, uh, so she can give us some uh, uh, details about when uh, and what you guys will be studying for the Bible study. Also, next Sunday at four o'clock is our. Uh, Fall Festival, thank you. Yeah, Fall Festival. It's over at Katie Rumbaugh's house. Uh, the address is there in the bulletin. And uh, well, she said either 4 o'clock or whenever the Steeler game gets over. Who knows, you may not want to finish it the way they've been playing, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Um, but anyway, that's uh, next Sunday. Uh, she's going to be providing some drinks and stuff for s'mores, everything else, while the church is going to provide the... Uh, Paper plates and napkins and silverware and things like that, cups. Uh, but uh, we need to bring everything else for that, for food. And we always have a good time. Always plenty of food. Um, that's next Sunday. And then uh, also next Sunday, if you look in, on the middle page of your bulletin, there's a little uh, blurb about, uh, you know, we're having a conversation next week about uh, the biblical and, I don't know, did I use the word moral in there? Um, the, the thought behind supporting someone that's going to a restricted access nation. A restricted access nation is a nation that doesn't allow missionaries to be there. Um, and we do have one missionary that is uh, over uh, in one of those restricted access nations. Um, now, the Bible does tell us in Romans 13 that we are not supposed to go against the law of the land. We're supposed to respect uh, the government. And how do we justify supporting someone that's going to another country to break the law? Uh, so that, that conversation, we're going to have that uh, during Sunday school. And it's not just a conversation. We want everyone to be educated in this. And part of that is you guys looking into it, uh, uh, Googling it, or getting into God's Word to figure out where... where what should we do? Is it right to support, continue supporting them? Because we were talking about taking on another person uh, uh, for support that is also going to a restricted access nation. Uh, so and I think it will be a good time just to be able to lay all our cards on the table to figure out biblically what we're supposed to do. Um, so that will be next Sunday. Uh, and as a result of next Sunday, well, not as a result, but after that, the following Sunday, which is November 5th, we're going to have a special business meeting depending on whether we're going to be taking on a new missionary or dropping support of the current missionary that we're supporting it to a restricted access nation. Um, so that, that's all there in your bulletin. Uh, no, no carrying dinner that day of November 5th uh, because on November 12th we're having our Veterans Day and Thanksgiving dinner uh, after the worship service. Always a great time. Plenty of food. Tons of food. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, it's probably one of our best attended meals because Annika even has it in her calendar already, she said. So, but uh, it's good. A lot of fun. But, it, it, you know, it's a great time of fellowship. Uh, you can see the other stuff uh, in there. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and sing the last song. It is uh, Icing Praises. 
Um, it's in your bulletin or you can look up on the screen. We'll also take up our offering during this song. I'll say junior church is dismissed. All right, why don't, uh, why don't we all turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. As you turn in there, um, I, do, I didn't mention this last week, but uh, last week and this week, I don't know if you all know, but I'm wearing jeans. This is the second time I've preached in jeans. Uh, it just seems kind of weird to me. But the reason I'm doing that, because some of y'all might be looking going, I can't believe the pastor is wearing jeans. What, what's, what's going on there? Buck's like, I don't care. He wear, Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, some people might be concerned about that. But uh, I twisted my ankle uh, last Thursday, not this past one, but the one before. And I'm wearing uh, a brace. And the brace doesn't fit in my dress shoes. So I'm wearing tennis shoes. And I don't want tennis shoes with dress pants because that, in my opinion, does not look right. Um, so I'm wearing jeans, so that's what's going on. It's not like, or never mind. I probably didn't need to say that, but I just felt I needed to. Um, all right, Proverbs 30. Let's get into this. Proverbs 30. Um, we are in the fourth week of our series on prayer. 
Um, we're calling it Beyond Prayer, a biblical perspective on the power of prayer. And it's based off of a book that I got uh, while I was at a pastor's conference in California called It Happens After Prayer by H.B. Charles Jr. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff in that book. And so um, I figured I would use a lot of that information and uh, present it to you because I think it's important for us to have a true understanding of what prayer is. It's not just us going to God saying, God, here's my laundry list of stuff. Give me, give me, give me. Uh, prayer is so much beyond that aspect. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things you can learn a lot about a person is when you listen to them pray. Uh, there, there, there were people growing up, I remember in my dad's church, that I absolutely loved to pray because it almost felt like when they would pray, you would almost feel God just inhabit the whole prayer and the, the service. It was just an awesome. I know it's not all about feelings, but it was just uh, some people, they prayed, and it was just so awe-inspiring. It was so worshipful in what they said. And then there were others that tried to do that, but it was it, it almost seemed fake. And as a result of it, it's like, when are they going to end? You know, It almost sounded like they were praying just to hear their own voices. Um, but... Uh, Yeah, I think they just like to hear themselves talk. But anyway, as I said, you can learn a lot about someone when you listen to them pray. And we're going to learn a lot about a man uh, named Agur, A-G-U-R, from Proverbs chapter 30. Now, who in the world is Agur? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's the way we're pronouncing it today, Agur. Well, we really don't know who Agur was. Some scholars believe that Agur is kind of a pen name for Solomon. I don't know why he would need a pen name, but some people think so. Uh, But we really don't know. All we know about him comes from Proverbs chapter 30. And the most important thing about Agur was... the most important things about Agur are revealed in the wise prayer that he gives. And he says that he's a weak man. And he teaches us seven important lessons about prayer. And before we ever get into the, the main petitions of the prayer, um, he, he teaches us a lot of stuff. So let's just read the portion of the prayer that we're going to cover today. Chapter number 30, Proverbs 30, verse number 7. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted in uh, allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Okay, seven things that he teaches us today. The first one is this. Pray, we are to pray with humble submission unto God. Pray with humble submission. And and so verse 7, he says, Two things I request of you. And he says, Deprive me not before I die. Ask Agur, Agur, ask God for two things. And and this is, I think, is an important detail. Uh, He did not tell the Lord what to do. He did not claim any promises. He did not use the force of faith. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. He didn't write his own ticket with God. He didn't try to manipulate God to produce his desired uh, uh, reality. Without a doubt, Agur's prayer is earnest. It's urgent. And yet he simply asked God for what he wanted, like a servant addressing a master or a child talking to a father, like a sinful man addressing a holy God. We should be approaching God in prayer with humble submission. 
we go to Him. Humbly, knowing that we need Him. No matter what, we need God because we can't do it on our own. We ought to go to God in prayer with humble submission, not egotistical presumptions. So that's the first thing. Humble submission. Uh, The second thing we need to do about prayer is pray with spiritual priorities. Anger didn't uh, pray for foolish, trivial, or superficial things. Instead, his prayer carried the way of eternity. He said, these two things I need, Lord. Lord, please don't withhold them from me before I die. I need these two things. Think about that. As Anger prayed about his life, he was thinking about his death. Moses prayed in Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. By this standard, we can see that a wise man numbers his days. What does that mean? You know that today may be your last day. Now, I'm not talking about being morbid, okay, because it's very easy to get morbid. But I'm talking about you realize that you don't know how much time you have left on this earth. A wise man understands that. Uh, And and Agur was in touch with his own mortality. And he lived in light of eternity. He did not put his treasure on earth where moth and rust uh, corrupts. He put his uh, uh, treasures in heaven. He recognized that even though it uh, it wasn't even written yet, he realized from Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, and it is appointed unto man to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Agur prayed with a life and death focus. What about our prayers? What are our prayers like? Our prayers should, be, uh, should also bear the weight of our inevitable, inevitable date of eternity. The great commentator Matthew Henry said, uh, in praying, we should think of dying and pray accordingly. Again, not in a morbid way, but in understanding what do I really need in light of eternity? What do I really need God to do in my life? And so, uh, um, you know, that worldly selfish prayer, I, I don't think really God listens too much. So when you pray, not only are you submissive to him, but you remember that God is sovereign. Life is short. Are you... Uh, uh, you understand that, right? Life is short. Now, when you're young, you think, man, I remember when I was like six or seven, if you were 20, you were old. When I was a teenager, if you were 30, you were old. I am 47, and 47 is old, okay? <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> no, uh, we, we don't want to talk about that. But let me, you know what? As a kid, time seemed to stretch forever and ever. You know, school years were like 10 years long. Summers were like three years long. And as you graduate, you're like, wow, it's already summer. You know, it's like October is almost over. Two weeks from today we're gonna, it's going to be November. Where did, that, where did the time go? Time goes so quickly. T- life is short. Remember that. Death is sure. Hell is a real place. Eternity is very, very long. So don't major on the minor things of life, and especially in your prayer life. But what should we do? Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
So Agur's prayer is telling us you need to pray with humble uh, submission, but also understand with spiritual priorities that life is short. Is this really something you need to be praying about? The third lesson that he gives us is that we are to pray with godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. And so Agur, he, he processed things in organized lists. Um, Oh, I should have probably had you all turn it. Oh, well. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. What a great privilege that is uh, to us. I mean, we can pray to God for wisdom when we need it, and we don't have to feel bad about it. I mean, God's never going to say, Oh, really? Now you want my help? No, God's not going to make us feel stupid for asking for wisdom. Let's be honest. Asking for wisdom is one of the wisest things you can do. We pray, uh, we should pray for wisdom, but we should also pray with wisdom. And as I said, Agur, he, he processed things into organized. Does anybody in here is a list maker? Okay. I know someone very, 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 very close to me who likes to make lists. Very, very close to me. And they like to make lists about just about everything. Um, and, and you know what? That's okay because it helps her. Oops, I didn't mean to say her. <laughs> it helps them. No, it helps my wife uh, to, to understand what's important, what needs to get done. And uh, I've not always been a list maker, but when I make lists, it helps me figure out which one has better priority, what I should be working on instead of. Um, but Agur, he did this. He processed these things with organized lists. And in this prayer list, Agur uh, strategically asked God for just two things. He would not have dared to go before an ancient dignitary uh, without a specific purpose or a thoughtful preparation. And so he, he went to God with the same thing. He, he would not thoughtlessly or carelessly go into the presence of God. He didn't pray for a long time, some vague rambling prayer. Agur prayed intentionally. He prayed specifically. He prayed purposefully. One commentator described the precise request as a sharp reproof of every dim word cloud that floats above men's heads and calls itself a prayer. What in the world does that mean? That means he didn't just have a whole bunch of words just to sound good, to make him sound important or anything like that. It was very concise. It was very to the point. Agur knew what he wanted, and he confidently but reverently brought his request to the one who was willing to hear and able to answer his prayer. So if you were to make a prayer list of the things that you want God to do for you before you die, how long would your list be? Most of us would have like pages upon pages, front and back, single spaced, right? What would be on our list? And if you look through that list, would you look at it and go, hmm, is that wise of me to pray about and ask God for? Or is that foolish of me to pray about and ask for? Is it something that doesn't really matter? Well, to Agur, he only had two things on his list. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with praying for things and, and, and a bunch of stuff. But Agur had two things that he prayed for. A very short list uh, that, that reflected godly wisdom. He asked God to take away the things in his life that blocked his pursuit of godliness. 
And then he asked God not to give him anything that would detour him from his pursuit of godliness. That's it. That, that's the prayer of anger. Interestingly, uh, this is the only prayer recorded in the book of Proverbs. You can conclude from this that this prayer concisely summarizes how wise, how a wise, godly person should pray. This is what we should all be praying to overcome uh, in the things in our own lives, to challenge the development of godliness in our own lives. So, yeah, pray with godly wisdom. With it. Not just for it, but with his wisdom. Um, Figure out what it is you truly need. Lesson number four. Ask God to remove the things that blocks your pursuit of godliness. The development of a godly life requires a firm commitment to God's word and divine truth. Christians must live lives that are based on truth. Jesus prayed in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he said again in John chapter 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is where Agur starts his prayer. He says, remove falsehood and lies from me. He says, falsehood and lies. Now, those are two different types of things, two specific things that uh, uh, he is asking um, God for. He's like, save me from deceitful speech. That's what that falsehood means. That falsehood refers to that which is empty or without value, or without meaning. The same Hebrew word is used uh, in the third commandment, that you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Vain means without value, without meaning. He confronts the deceitful act of saying something that you don't mean in order to take advantage of someone else. Deceitful speech is unbecoming for godly people. Peter lists deceit as one of the things that we need to get rid of for all, uh, for all, get rid of once and for all if we're uh, to desire to grow up in faith. Peter states that Jesus is qualified to be our Savior because he committed no sin and he spoke no deceit. Praise God. Everything Jesus says is true. So as followers of Jesus, uh, we must rid ourselves of falsehoods. Get rid of it. Get rid of empty words. You ever, someone, you ever been around someone who just likes to talk? They really have nothing to say. They could talk for an hour and you're like, what did you just say to me? And you're like, I don't know. Weren't you listening either? You know, I mean, you just, empty words. They don't mean anything. That's what we need to get away, get away from. Things that are empty. But not only deceitful speech, but dishonest speech. Falsehood and lies, they're like twins, but they're not identical twins. Lies are uglier, okay? Uh, just like all twins, they have an... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Not all twins have an ugly twin. We have twins, and we're not going to go there. Um, <laughs> but lies is the uglier of the twins. Did you know that a person who speaks falsehood might actually be speaking the truth? I mean, they don't believe what they're saying, but they, they say it to garner some kind of acceptance from its listener. You know, they're hypocrites. And by his falsehood, by this hypocrit uh, hypocritical act, um, he, it's like he is aligned with truth. However, a liar does not acknowledge truth in any way. 
He has no respect for truth. Liars despise it. And you know what? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says that lying lips are abomination to the Lord. That means he hates lying. He hates liars. So Agur is wisely asking God to remove falsehood and lies from him. He doesn't want that. So what is Agur talking about? The meaning of this request, I think, is very clear. I mean, the context, uh, maybe not so much. But Agur could be praying for a personal commitment to the truth. You know, maybe that's why he's asking it. Or maybe he's asking it because he is confessing some sin before God. Agur may be asking God for victory over that nagging temptation to speak falsehood and lies. But the problem, however, may not, see, may not have even been with Agur himself. It might have been he was around people who spoke falsehood and lies. They may have been people who did not rightly handle the word of truth. They misinterpreted God's word and misrepresented God's word to make it say whatever it, well, what it doesn't say. Those type of people are clearly a danger to having a godly faith. Now, we don't know what his intentions were, but either way, uh, when you read this petition, the point is the same. Agur prayed for deliverance from falsehood and lies. He didn't want them in his life anymore because he, ha- he was too weak to deal with the issues by himself. And that's so true for every sin that we have in our, in our lives. We are too weak on our own to be able to handle those sins. That's why we need God and the strength of God. Now also note that he asked God to remove them far from him. He didn't want them to be close by so they could possibly slip right back into the, saying those things and doing those things. No, he says, Lord, remove them far from me. Uh, flip over to, hold your place there in, in Proverbs 30, but flip over to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And as you do, I'm going to uh, tell you a story about, uh, that I read. Two boys were playing at, their, uh, at one of the boys' houses. Uh, they were in a tree house or they were playing around the tree house and there were steps that were going up to the tree house. And so uh, one boy is walking up the, st- the steps and his foot went through the wood and like got and he got stuck. He got his leg all the way down in there. And so he's trying to pull himself up and he couldn't do it. The other little boy, you know, he's like, help me, help me. And the, the little boy is like, I'm trying and he's pulling and everything hurts even more and they can't get it. Uh, so he says, the, the one boy says, go get my dad. And so the other boy ran into the house, retrieved dad, coming out like a superhero. He probably had a Superman S on his chest. I don't know. But he came over there. He raced up the steps and he quickly assessed what was going on in the situation and decided that the best course of action was not just to pull him out because if you pull out, you could definitely scrape up even more so. So what he ended up doing is breaking apart the steps that had trapped his son. And so then he carried his son to the ground. He evaluated the injury that really wasn't that bad. He's a little scraped up, but he was fine. And so he went back inside and the boys began playing again. And after a little bit, the other boy said to him, wow, your dad is strong. Let me ask you this. Are you stuck right now in life? Have you stepped through some spiritual step that didn't hold you and now you're hurting, that you're trapped? Is your spiritual life stuck? You may have been trying to break free for a long time. Family and friends maybe even tried to help you out, but it didn't work. Is that you? Then I've got some really good news for you because our Heavenly Father is strong. 
His grace is all you need. His strength works best in weak people. There's, there's nothing that the Lord can't get you out of. Just ask God to remove whatever it is in your life that's blocking your pursuit of godliness. That's what Agar's doing. He's like, God, I, I want to live for you, Lord, but I've got these things that just keep getting in my way. Remove them, Lord. Remove them far from me. So he asked God to uh, remove the things that block his pursuit of godliness. Fifth lesson, ask God to block those things that detour your pursuit of godliness. Now that may sound like it's the same thing as the last point, but it's a little different. Hopefully you all went to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. If you did, I'm going to start reading in verse number 9. 1 Chronicles 4, verse number 9. It records the prayer of another little-known person by the name of Jabez. He says this, verse number 9. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Jabez's prayer for God's power uh, to maintain his integrity was a good thing, especially after he had already received the blessings from God. Agar is a little bit different. He says, Lord, I'm too weak to pray like that. I don't have the strength. I don't have those blessings yet. And instead he asked God not to grant him. Don't give me any blessing that would cause me or expose me to my own weaknesses to compromise my own values or put my integrity in jeopardy. And you know what? That prayer is just as good as the one saying, God, enlarge my coasts. The one to praying for more is good. And also the one saying, God, don't give me any more is also good. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's what Agur says. Agur's petition is more extensive than Jabez's. And it's neatly divided into two different parts. First, Agar asked the Lord, do not give me poverty. At first glance, this really doesn't seem like, how many of y'all want to be in poverty? Anybody? No? Okay, well, duh. Okay, we don't want to be that way. We want to be able to support our families and support ourselves. Uh, You know, at first glance, this doesn't seem very profound. And I think it's safe to say that we really don't want to be poor. But think about this. Comparable to the rest of the world, most of us don't really know what poverty looks like. Poverty in the United States is still rich compared to a lot of people in the world. A lot of places in the world. And as I've said before, money, money is amoral meaning it's neither good nor bad in and of itself. In fact, a wealthy person can be godly, selfless, and generous, and a poor person can be worldly, selfish, and greedy. It's all about your attitude towards those material possessions. The prayer of Agur uh, uh, warns us that being poor can have a corrupting influence in your life. There's no particular virtue in being poor, like some people try to say. He asks God, Lord, don't, don't. Please don't make me live in poverty. And that makes sense. But the second part is hard for a lot of us to swallow. Because if we're not in the poverty part, the other part is this. He said, don't give me riches either. 
Now, most of us in here would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? You're asking, don't make me poor, but at the same time, don't make me rich. Well, there is a happy medium in there somewhere. Um, But here's the thing. Most of us do not outright ask Let me try that again. Most of us do not outright ask for riches any more than we ask for poverty. Yet our hearts desire for more income, for more affluence, for more possessions is there, not less. D.L. Moody, uh, he was a preacher, great preacher. He wisely taught that getting riches brings care. Keeping them brings trouble. Abusing them brings guilt. Losing them brings sorrow. It is a great mistake to make so much of riches as we do. Yet, you know, far too many of us make the mistake of making too much of riches. We know the saying, the more money you got, you know, most of us think the more money you got, the better off you'll be. But that's not true. The more money you got, the more problems you get. But that doesn't keep us from trying to obtain more, even when it causes spiritual problems. I think the American Christian, well, the American Christian church desperately needs to listen to and obey Paul's admonition. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Beware, material prosperity can become a cancer to the soul. Now, I know not that long ago I talked about money. We preached, I preached about money. And here's the thing. As Christians, well, well forget the Christian part. In America, what's the American dream? If you work hard enough, you'll get it. Right? More of this, more of that, more of that, uh, basically. And, and, and for Americans, we, a lot of times we throw in the American dream into Christianity. Lord, if I'm good, then you're going to give me more. And so, therefore, I want more. And if I want more, I'm being a good Christian. No, that's not always the, the, the right case. I believe Ager's prayer request here really makes a good theological assertion that we really need to focus on. Because there might be some here that is living in poverty. And there might be some here that are living in riches. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with either one of those. Why? Because God is the ultimate source of both poverty and riches. There is a purpose behind what God does. For some people, He puts them in riches. For some people, He puts them in poverty. We may never know this side of eternity why He does that. But God does. Uh, So think about it. In asking God not to give him poverty or riches, Agur acknowledges that whichever one he receives, it's coming from God. It's not because, oh, I I should have worked harder. Well, first off, you should be working. Scripturally speaking, you should be working. He who does not eat, uh, does not work, does not eat. Okay. Um, that, that's that's biblical principle right there. I think you ought to be working if you're able to work. And if you're not able to work, you know, you, you do what you can. But um, everything comes 
from God. Agar acknowledges that whichever one he receives comes from God. Everything comes from God, whether it's good or it's bad. You may not like the thought of that. Honestly, I don't really like that thought either. But the alternative is even worse. Because if if God does not have sovereign control over creation, history, circumstances, that means that things that will happen by chance, things happen on accident, things happen out of dumb luck. Or worse, it means that Satan is free to do whatever he wants to do in this world without God knowing or God being able to do anything about it. Or even worse still, it means that our own eternal destiny is in our own hands. God forbid, that's not the way it is. But the good news is that God is in control of everything. God is, the word we like to use is sovereign. He is in charge of everything. He is in, in, in the heavens doing whatever he pleases, according to Psalm 115, which kind of reminds me of the song, maybe you learned it in, in the Sunday school. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. Did you know there was three verses to that? At least three that I could remember. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the little bit of baby in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. You know what? That's exactly what God's God's sovereignty is, that he's got all of that in his hands, that he is in control of everything. It's all in his hands, whether he chooses to give poverty or riches. Even when you don't like the gift, remember that God is good. He is wise and he is great. And he gives us exactly what we need. The fact that Agar prayed for neither poverty nor riches does not mean that he did not want any material possessions. No, he wanted a balanced life. Look back here, Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 8. The latter part of it uh, says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Then he says, feed me with the food allotted to me. He addressed his concern about the dangers of poverty and riches by asking God to give him the food that was needful for him. This is like the Lord's Prayer, you know, that we talked about, um, where where, where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, the things that we need for that day. For many in Jesus' day, their entire meal consisted of bread. They couldn't uh, afford anything else. Bread was all that they had. Maybe that's why God referred to him, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. Just a little thought there. But this is what Jesus taught his disciples to ask for. Just ask for the bread. He doesn't want them to have bread stored up for days. He tells them to ask for their daily bread. Praying simply for our daily bread keeps us humble. And more importantly, it keeps us dependent on God. It forces us to acknowledge that the things that we need to survive in this world do not show up automatically. They come from God And without it, we're going to die. Do you get it? You see, praying for daily bread is meant to help us remember that we need God. We don't just need God to show up on certain days if we can make it with as if we could make it without God at other times. We need God's gracious provisions 
every single day. There's not a time in our lives when we don't need God. And this is the heart of Agur's request. He is asking God to keep him in an attitude of dependence. He's asking God to help him remember that he needs God every single day. He's asking God to work in his life in a way that would force him to walk by faith and not by sight. Why? Why would he pray like that? Well, look at verse number 9. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agur understood that life is not defined by material possessions. Jesus said that one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Let that sink in for a little bit. You are more the amount more than the amount of money you have in the bank. You are more than the kind of car that you drive. You are more than the neighborhood that you live in. You are more than the type of work that you do. Life is so much more the, than the things you possess. True life consists in a relationship with out of a true life consists of a right relationship with God. Ecclesiastes 12 towards the end of it Solomon is, is, is teaching, he's saying all life is vain. He, he, he did it all, and he didn't get any comfort out of it. He didn't get any uh, fulfillment out of the things of this world. And he comes to the end of the book, and he says, in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is what you need to know. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's what it comes down to. So Agur prayed that he would not receive anything that would hinder his relationship with God. God, don't give me uh, a poverty because I might do something in my poverty that I shouldn't do. And don't give me riches because I might trust in them more than I should trust in them. That's lesson five. Lesson six. Ask God to give you the right attitude about prosperity so you won't deny him. Y'all remember Job? Uh, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. In the book of Job, uh, he was a a great man of God, followed him wonderfully. Satan went up to to God and, and God said, hey, have you seen my boy Job? And Satan's like, well, the only reason Job is following you is because you bless him. Only because, you know, you've been good to him. You take that stuff away and he's going to curse your, your name and, and uh, uh, you know, he's not going to follow you anymore. And so what, what Satan was doing, he was betting that if Job's circumstances changed, Job would curse God instead of serving him. But Satan was wrong. And so God says, you can do whatever you want, just don't touch his health. So he did. Satan came in, all of his crops all of his animals, all of his children, all of his servants except for four, all of them taken away from him in one day. I mean, it'd be bad enough dealing with one hurt, one blow to your your livelihood, but imagine four in one day. Because it says, if you could look into that, it says, "As, as this servant was speaking, another one came up. And as this servant was speaking, another one came up. Four times. But you know what? When all that happened, Job didn't cuss God out. 
Job didn't throw a tantrum. Job didn't uh, do what many of us would do and just be mad. He says, well, naked I came from the womb and naked I'll go to the Lord. I enter this world with nothing and I'm going to go out with nothing. He still worshipped God. Some people only serve God because they think uh, of the blessings that they're going to receive. Agar's prayer is on the other side of this story. Uh, Agar did not want to be full. He didn't want financial independence or security. He looked beyond the benefits of health and I'm sorry, wealth and financial uh, independence. Instead, he was focused on the deceitfulness of riches, asking God, "Don't give me too much." Because if I do, if I get too much, I might deny you, Lord. And I might say, well, who is the Lord? I did this. Empty stomachs remind us of our need for God. But full stomachs can create a false sense of self-sufficiency. Material wealth may lead to spiritual indifference. Agar didn't want to become full and start asking, asking, well, who is the Lord? This question isn't a real request to know God. It was a sarcastic denial of God's authority. Who is the Lord? I did this. I worked my hind end off to buy this house, to get all this stuff, to have all this food. Who is the Lord? I did all this myself. It's a sarcastic denial of God's authority. And it suggests that you don't need God if your stomach's full. It's a blasphemous, foolish pride that doesn't recognize where true help comes from. Don't forget the Lord when life gets good. It's very easy for us to do. Do not become full and ask, who is the Lord? Have you forgotten what the Lord has done for you? Let me give you. Let me just refresh your memory about what God has done for you. The Lord is the source of every good and perfect, perfect gift. The Lord is the one who gives life and breath and all things. The Lord is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. The Lord is the one who causes our cup to run over. The Lord is the one who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The Lord is the one who supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord is he who gives us all things freely to enjoy. That's who the Lord is. So don't get, don't allow riches to be cause you to deny the Lord. And then the seventh one, along those lines, well, like what we've been talking about, ask God to give you the right attitude about poverty so that you will not profane His name. What in the world does that mean? That's what He said. Uh, The latter part of verse number 9, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, having too much money can be dangerous, but also having too little can be. Not having enough to meet your needs may result you in doing something that you know is wrong. uh, uh, Maybe you'll steal from someone. It's wrong to take what doesn't belong to you. It's immoral. It's unethical. Agar wanted to avoid this, but Agar's primary concern was the spiritual issue that stealing would create, to profane the name of God. Agar's prayer reveals a high review of God. 
I'm sorry, a high view, not review, a high view of God. Agar did not want to become poor and resort to stealing, and in so doing, profane the name of God. He, he did not believe in situational ethics. Do you know what situational ethics is? Well, whatever might be good for you might not be good for me. Whatever is right for you may not be right for me. That's what situational ethics is all about. Um, do you practice that lifestyle? We may say, well, no, no, I, there is one truth and it's God's word. Okay, cool. But do you live that way? Do you practice? You know, sometimes we do end up practicing that lifestyle of situational ethics. Uh, we even defend it when we apologize for what we do or we don't do by saying, well, I have to eat. I have to pay my bills. I have to take care of my family. I have to take care of my responsibilities. I have to do what I have to do. So we flex the rules according to the situation. We walk this way as if the meeting of our needs trumps every other responsibility in our lives, even to God. When we think this way, we compromise, we negotiate, and we hustle to get our needs met. That attitude, those actions... Say to the world that God cannot be trusted to take care of us. And that profanes the name of God. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If you can trust God to save your soul, you can trust God to take care of you while you're on your way from this earth until we get to heaven. Trust God to give you your daily bread. Trust God to meet your needs. Trust God to provide for you. Trust God to show you favor. Trust God to open doors of opportunity because God will take care of you if you trust in Him. We should pray like Agar. Lord, these two things I ask, Help me to forsake falsehood and lies. And help me not to fall in love with money. That's what we need to be praying. Trust God to provide the food that is necessary for you. Wait on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean lazily wait on the Lord. We've talked about that before. You mean as you're doing what you need to do, as you work, uh, God is going to bless you. God's going to help you through that but you're waiting on him expecting God to use your weakness as the platform to put his strength on display and don't forget to give credit where credit is due when God blesses you you give him the praise and the glory that is due his name sometimes our children or when we were even children, our gratitude stunk. We never said thank you. We, someone gave us something, someone did something for us, and if it wasn't for mom and dad being right there saying, now what do you say? Thank you. We don't learn gratitude. So often, even today, in our own lives, in our own Christian lives, we take God's blessings for granted. We need to give credit where credit is due. And to give God the thankfulness. Now you say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Thanksgiving's here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I know, but 
Thanksgiving is not the only time you're supposed to give thanks, right? We, need to be, we ought to give uh, our, our gratitude towards God. Do you know how much he's done for us? Do you know how much he hasn't done for us that we deserve? Don't forget to give credit where credit is due. Show gratitude. Praise him. And not just between you and God, which is very important, but also praise him with people around you. Say, praise God, this, this blessing has been awesome. God worked wonders. This is amazing. Thank God for it. Give him the praise that he is due his name. That's the challenge from Agar. Seven different lessons. Um, when we realize that we are weak and we need him, that's when God's strength is made manifest in our lives and it shows, and, and he's the one that gets the glory for it. As children of God, that's the way our, our lives ought to be. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never, you're not a child of God. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, you could do through all of these things and if you don't have a relationship with God, it's not going to help. You're like, well, this is, isn't this a good formula to work? No, it's not going to help you. You need to have a relationship with God and not just like, okay, I, I know that guy up there. No, but you put your faith and trust in him for everlasting salvation. If, you, if you're here and you've never done that, I encourage you today, talk to me, talk to someone else that you trust and say, hey, what does it mean for me to be saved? I, I, I need this. I want this. If that's you today, I encourage you to talk to me, like I said, or someone. Christians, a lot of things we got to think about. A lot of things to think about. A lot of things that we probably are praying for that is probably not that important. We need to focus down on what we ought to be praying for. All right, would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house. I thank you for your message. How... So many times it's like a two-by-four hitting me upside the head to get my attention to me, for me to focus on what you want me to focus on. Lord, I pray that you would help all those that are here that are your children to, to have a life of prayer that is pleasing to you. That it's not filled with gimme, 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 but it's filled with praise and adoration and thankfulness and gratitude but also that we would be concise in what we do ask for. Lord, uh, we ask that you would bless, uh, bless us as we put these words into practice in our own lives. And Lord, as I said, if there is one here that doesn't know you, I pray that today you give them the strength, the courage to step out and to be able to talk to someone so that they can lead them from your word to you so that they could put their faith and trust in you. Thank you, God, for all that you do for us. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Uh, page 273, Jesus paid it all. Just give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord, whatever God may be working in your heart. Uh, I encourage you to do so. Let's uh, 273, Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. 
Thank you for being here. I pray that God continues to challenge you from his word. Um, Let's close in a word of prayer. Don't forget the announcements that have been made. And uh, I'm going to ask Hugh, would you close our service in prayer, sir?